John chapter 17, if you'll turn there, it will be one of many portions of Scripture that we'll consider tonight in our topic of sanctification. John chapter 17, we'll begin there in verse 13, and our Lord's high priestly prayer before He goes back to be with His Father in heaven, and now come I to Thee, verse 13 of John 17, and these things I speak in the world that they might have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them thy word, and the world hateth them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but that thou shouldest keep them from evil. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Verse 17 is a key verse in our study. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. As thou hast sent me into the world, even so I have also sent them into the world. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself that they might also be sanctified through the truth. Neither pray I for these alone. Verse 20 is speaking of us. But for them also which shall believe on me through their word, that they all may be one, as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. The twelfth tenet of our statement of faith states, those who have been regenerated are also sanctified by God's word and spirit dwelling in them. This sanctification is progressive through the supply of divine strength, which all saints seek to obtain pressing after a heavenly life in cordial obedience to all of Christ's commands. Sanctification is one of the glorious privileges of the child of God. It is a work of the Holy Spirit. It is a result of our union with Christ. Romans 15 verse 16 speaks of being sanctified by the Holy Ghost. The word sanctify in the Greek means to simply to set apart, and with the connotation for a specific purpose or use, set out, set, set, singled out, if you will, for a specific use. It denotes ownership. This is mine, and because it is mine, I set it aside for this use that I determine that I will do with it and through it. It denotes ownership. It deals with the believer and sin. In other words, the putting off of sin from the believer's life and being conformed into the image of Jesus Christ. God's great work in us in this interim between our salvation until we go home to be with him is to conform us to the image of Christ. This progressive work begins at the moment of conversion and continues until we are glorified, perfected in heaven. Sanctification is a process, a progression that ends in glorification. It is a work, as we've mentioned, of the Holy Spirit, and we must not underestimate that. It is a work of the Spirit using the Word of God and in cooperation with the individual believer. We are to join with the Holy Spirit in this work of sanctifying us, of setting us apart, of putting sin out of our lives. Like all the other gifts of grace and 
divine work, sanctification is a work of the Lord by the Spirit. Leviticus 21 verse 8, God says, I am the Lord which sanctify you. Thomas Watson so aptly puts it, weeds grow by themselves. Flowers are planted. Sanctification is a flower of the Spirit's planting. Therefore, it is called in 1 Peter 1 verse 12, the sanctification of the Spirit. It is the Holy Spirit working in our lives and in our bodies, making us holy and for the Lord. It is chiefly a work of the heart. An inner work. It is described in First Peter 3, verse 4, the adorning of the hidden man of the heart. Psalm 51, verse 6 says, In the hidden part thou shalt make me to know wisdom. In sanctification, while chiefly an inner work of the heart, the mind, the spirit, the unseen part of us, shaping our thoughts, our character, and our lives, it spreads to the whole of man. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 22 says, Abstain from all appearance of evil, and the very God of peace sanctify you wholly or totally. And I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. All of our faculties, every part of us, was corrupted by Adam's fall. We have taught of the total depravity of man. There is no part of us, inner, outer, physical, spiritual, that mind, will, emotions, or thoughts that has not been touched by the fall of Adam. All of this was affected by the fall. And while our conversion brings about justification, we spoke of that glorious doctrine last Lord's Day, where the high king of heaven clears us from blame and guilt through the work of our Savior. And that justification is an instantaneous act, as instantaneous as our conversion. It is at once. It is a legal and judicial act whereby we are cleared of blame and guilt and the penalty of our sin once and for all. That takes place immediately. Sanctification is a practical, daily, ongoing work of the Spirit. Sanctification is a real and literal change that transforms us. We have been transformed, and we are being transformed. 1 Corinthians 5, 17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, you see the conditions here. If you are in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And we could say are becoming new. They have been made new and are being made new. It is a beautiful thing. Thomas Watson again says that holiness is the most sparkling jewel in the Godhead's crown. Well, Exodus chapter 15 verse 11 says glorious, describes him as being glorious in holiness. It is the first fruit, the first work, and the first fruit of the Holy Spirit that he produces in us. And holiness is the highest level of happiness. Psalm 90 verse 16, the psalmist says, let Thy work appear unto thy servants, and thy glory unto their children, and let the beauty of the Lord, this sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit, is a thing of beauty. Let the beauty of the Lord our God be upon us, and establish thou the work of our hands upon us. Yea, 
the work of our hands, establish thou it. Sanctification then is a continual, ongoing work of the Spirit. 1 John 3 verse 9 says, His seed remaineth in him. And we're going to talk about the perseverance of the saints, but it is because of the indwelling Holy Spirit's work that we do persevere. Ephesians 1 verse 12, that we should be to the praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ, in whom you also trusted after that you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that you believed, you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of his glory. 1 John 2, verse 27, the anointing, in other words, the work of the Holy Spirit, which you have received, abideth, stays, abideth in you. We must say here that sanctification, as I've already mentioned, but must emphasize, is a progressive work. It grows and continues all throughout a believer's life. There's some who erroneously teach that there is a stage or a status that a believer may reach in this life of perfection where already here in this body and in this life the uh, sinfulness has been put down and there's no uh, taint of sin whatsoever in a believer's life. We know, however, from experience in our own hearts and lives and from observation in the lives of each other and from the testimony of the saints, you only have to read Romans chapter 7 of one of the best Christians outside of our Lord who ever walked, the Apostle Paul, who cries out as a godly and mature believer, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of sin? I thank God that the Lord Jesus Christ, he continues, will do so. Philippians 1 verse 6, Paul says, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you, what is that good work? Salvation, which results in sanctification. He that has begun that work in you will perform it when? Until the day of Christ, when at that point glorification is complete and we are absolutely like the Lord. A believer cannot be more justified than he is right now. You'll never be more justified than you are. Your blame is cleared. Your name is recorded in the Lamb's Book of Life. The very righteousness of Christ has been imputed to you and to your account, as glorious as that may sound and as miraculous and humanly unbelievable as that may may sound. We are now justified. We will never be more justified judicially than we are tonight at this hour. But a believer continues to grow in sanctification. Though the old man is dead as far as his authority over us, we still must deal with him on a moment-by-moment basis. I could do some questioning here today. I'll only ask a question or two to see if I have the right crowd. Did anybody get mad today about anything? (laughs) I think I've got the right crowd. In fact, I know I do, whether you agree with me or not. Did anybody have to... Bite your tongue and not say something that would have set the record straight as far as you're concerned. Oh, I see I've got the right, I'm glad I've I've got the right audience. And so we realize that that tendency is still alive and well as far as our experience is concerned. And we must deal with that old man, that old nature on a moment-by-moment basis. 
It is an increasing work in our life. As the sun begins to rise in the morning, the first glints of daylight, and as it makes its uh, trip across the sky and becomes high noon, it's a gradual appearing of the sun to its highest zenith. Knowledge, wisdom, love, patience, faith, all these grow and increase in us. We cannot add one cubit to our physical man. My grandchildren often kid with my wife about her height. And uh, I won't say much about it. I think it's obvious that uh, she is uh, vertically challenged. She knows that. Um, she is good about it. She says, I've never think of myself in that way. Often we'll be some- we were somewhere yesterday shopping together. And we saw this little lady that I always say when I see somebody like that, I said, there's some of your people. <laughs> there's, some- there's some of your people. And my wife noticed, she said, look how she has to reach up to hold the buggy. And she was holding her buggy the same way. I said, yes, I, I see that. And uh, the grandchildren, though, are, we're, although Kathy is, is, is all right about it, they keep saying, are you not going to grow anymore? They can't imagine that, she's, that that's all there is to it. And uh, that she, they're concerned that she uh, grow, grow some more. But with all of the worries she might put to it or thought, she could add not one cubit to her stature. The scripture tells us that, doesn't it? But unlike the physical man that we cannot add a cubit to our stature, the inner man, the Bible teaches us, grows day by day and increases more and more. So that we could use the term, we're to become spiritual giants. And while this old man is fading, this outer body is fading and decaying, the inner man is being renewed. It's just the opposite. And one day, the two will be on the same page, if you will. The inner man and the outer man will be one. Oh, what a day that will be. We see that there are several things that are, which may look like sanctification. And you might be fooled by it, but we should not because we have the scripture to ferret out these things. And I want to mention just a few of them tonight. We will not be able to deal with all this subject in one sitting. It is far too important, and we will just begin the introduction tonight and deal with it uh, as we go. But there are several things which look like sanctification, but they are fakes. First of all, moral virtue. To be nice and kind and respectful and mannerly and easygoing and law-abiding and to have a good reputation is not sanctification. That's good. Those things are important. But they're not to be confused with sanctification. Did you know that pagans can have morality and civility and manners? Civility is but nature refined. There is nothing of Christ there, and the heart may be foul and impure. The Stoics in Acts chapter 17 verse 18 were the chief of the moralized heathens, and yet they were the bitterest enemies that Paul had. And so moral virtue, a good reputation, can be a counterfeit that some might point to for sanctification, but is not in itself a work of the Spirit. A second counterfeit to sanctification is superstitious devotion. It is religious ritual. And because I do these things, and of course I'm here tonight, and that's obvious that I obviously am being sanctified, we might point to works or or ritual or observance. Those things can be done without conversion. 
And, for example, the Old Testament washings and purifications and sacrificings uh, of even that God had appointed did not sanctify, did not make his people more holy. The priests who wore the special garments and had oil poured over them were not more holy than without a work of the Lord within. A superstitious holiness costs no great labor. There is nothing of the heart in it. And so there's this religious works that some would point to as evidence of sanctification, but can be very misleading. A third counterfeit of sanctification is hypocrisy. When a person pretends to be holy to others, but they are not, and they know they're not. Second Timothy 3 verse 5, having a form of godliness but denying or being devoid of or strangers to the power thereof, acting the part, talking the talk, walking the walk, having the conversation, blending right in, and yet a stranger to the inner work of grace. They are like lamps without light bulbs, or really lamps without a plug, without a cord. Can you imagine having a beautiful lamp, no cord to plug it in? What good is it? It's all show. There's nothing there. It's, it's empty. It's devoid of the very thing that it needs to, to work as it should. Ephesians 4 verse 24 speaks of true holiness, which by implication suggests that there is a fake holiness. If there's something that's true, then there's something that's fake. Revelation 3 verse 1 describes it, Thou hast a name to live, but thou art dead. You have a name... You call yourself a believer, but in reality, there's no life there at all. Jude 12 describes it as clouds without water. They pretend to be full of the Spirit, but are empty clouds. It is a show, a self-delusion. What good is a lamp without a cord to plug it in? Absolutely useless. It is just for show. Thomas Watson says there's a fourth counterfeit of sanctification and it is restraining grace. And we might need to describe what that is. Some might not recognize it. When men don't practice sin, but they don't hate it. They would if they could. Just because they're not involved in the sin doesn't mean they would do it if they had the opportunity or could get by with it. They would, if they could, get by with it. I would, he says, but I dare not because of the implications, or because of my wife, or because of my standing in the church. The heart is not changed. And like a a washed and perfumed pig sitting on a satin pillow in a house, you can feed it ribeye steak and uh, rose water, and you you can perfume it and pamper it and put a silk bow around its neck. But you know as well as I do, if that pig gets an opportunity and you leave the door open, he'll go right out to the nearest mud puddle he can find and and the best slop he can find and go right back to it. The heart is not changed. A cobra may be in a cage, but it still is a cobra, isn't it? There's a, a fifth counterfeit of sanctification, and it is common grace. We speak of God's grace in several ways. God's common grace is his grace that all men enjoy. The rain fell on the unsaved man's yard today just like it fell on the the saved person's. The sun came up for the unsaved. God's 
common grace, his, the fact that we did not fly off the face of the earth, that the laws of gravity were not suspended, everyone on earth benefited by our Lord's graciousness and goodness. Common grace is a work of the Spirit, but it's not a converting work. It is a light which God gives to all men. The Bible very clearly says all men see that there's a Creator and know there's a God in heaven can see that the invisible things are, can be seen by what is created. There is the moral law of God, Romans clearly tells us, that is engraved on the heart of all men, the light which God gives to all, the blessings that all men receive, this is common grace. There is light, but he does not, this light does not result in humbling or repentant faith. There is a conscience, but not the Holy Spirit indwelling. There is conviction, but after it passes, they go right back to their old ways. Sanctification, that genuine work of the Spirit, that ongoing work of the Holy Spirit, judging sin, helping us to put it off and to grow in grace, is evidence that we have truly been saved. Paul is writing to the Corinthians and is reasoning with them about dealing with sin in that local congregation of believers. And he he knows their backgrounds because he was their spiritual father. He went to Corinth and preached. And remember, he uh, began the church there in the synagogue, and they moved next door, and there was great persecution. And Paul recounts the, the glorious work of the Holy Spirit in converting them. And you know the sinfulness of Corinth. And many of the members of the church at Corinth came from the most despicable of backgrounds. And he reminds them of this in his pleading with them to deal with things according to the word of God. He says, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. He rephrases it in two different ways. These who openly and continually practice these lifestyles give evidence that they've not been regenerated. And then he says in verse 11 an amazing thing, and such were, past tense, some of you, but ye are washed, but ye are sanctified, ye are justified, in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Now, I want to pause just a moment and notice there in 1 Corinthians 6, verse 11, the order that Paul mentions these things. From a cursory reading, it's a little confusing to us that he would mention the washing and the sanctification before justification. Pastor, I, I thought you taught we are justified first, and at that moment that we become believers on the Lord Jesus Christ, repent on believing Him, we're justified, and then that process of sanctification begins. Why then does Paul say, you, such were some of you, but you're washed, and that, of course, is figurative of the, the glorious new birth that takes place, the washing away of sins by the work of the Holy Spirit. You're washed, you are sanctified, but you're justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Their sanctification, 
the fact that there was an obvious work going on in their midst, that they had come from those horrible, despicable backgrounds, but were not presently living that lifestyle, was what? It was proof that they had been justified. And that's the reason he puts it in that very order. Your sanctification, child of God, is a real viable proof to you that a work of the Spirit has taken place in your heart. Ezekiel 36, verse 26, the Lord says, A new heart will I give you, and I will put my Spirit within you, and I will be your God. These are determinate things that God says He will do. I will, I will put a new heart, a new, put my Spirit within you. Hebrews 12, verse 14 declares, Without holiness, this work of the Spirit, no man shall see the Lord. God is a holy God, and we must be made holy if we are to stand before Him. And we must love that which is holy if we are to be with Him in heaven. Well, how does this take place? And we're going to answer that question, and we're going to look at signs of sanctification. There are some clear and obvious evidences that this work has taken place in our heart, justification, which has resulted in our being sanctified, set apart for the Lord's use. But our Lord tells us, and I will just close tonight with this word in verse 17 of our text, John 17, verse 17. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. Let me just say, there is no conversion without the word of God. The word of God is the seed that brings about conversion. It is the seed that that brings about that change of heart whereby we're saved and regenerated. And so our salvation is, comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. And this is the resource of our sanctification. The Holy Spirit takes the Word, the truth, the, the sword of the Spirit, if you will, to do that work in our hearts, the dividing of the joint and the soul and the, the, the joint and the marrow, and is a d- discerner, a critiquer, a teller of the thoughts in the intents of the heart. Who does that? Do the words of men do that? Do the platitudes and the philosophies of men do that? No. Only the Word of God can do that deep and abiding, regenerating, and then sanctifying work by His Spirit. May the Lord open our hearts and minds to the the glorious work of the Holy Spirit in our midst. Now, our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank You that these things are so that you are doing a work in our midst. And those that you have brought to faith in Christ, you are making like your Savior, your Son, and our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Show us these things. Oh, Lord, I pray that all of us would be a holy people, that you would change us and mold us and make us after your own will. And, Lord, I pray that we would see great and mighty things in the life of every person not only those repenting and believing on Jesus Christ, but growing in grace and in the knowledge of our Savior. Lord, perfect your church, we pray. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Would you turn to